Welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, Episode 7. Thank you, thank you for tuning in, and welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, where every week I bring on guests and we talk about topics that will help you build better products and get the press you deserve. This week's episode is specifically about press, and I bring on Dan Seifert, who's the reviews editor at The Verge. And I'm really happy to have him on the show because it was so frustrating to me when I was working full-time as a tech journalist because I would constantly hear people talking about how you should be pitching press and things like developing the story ahead of time and then just kind of giving the story to journalists is the best way to go about it and kind of building rapport with journalists on Twitter and all these kind of tactics to get noticed and get written about. And a lot of times they weren't always that effective. And I wanted to say, no, that that's not how you do it. And Dan works for The Verge, which is a fantastic publication, probably my favorite tech publication. And He talks about how to actually get noticed in his inbox. And if you have a product or an app or a website and you think that it would be a good fit for their publication, he basically lays out exactly what you need to do step by step in order to get noticed and to get that press that you want. So I'm going to stop talking now and we'll get into the interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto iTunes and rate it, leave a review. It really helps me out and helps other people find the podcast too. And without further ado, here's Dan from The Verge. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> two Dans on the show today. So much Dan. Dan Overload. Dan Overload. I, I'm liking it. I'm enjoying it. So how have things been uh, for you recently? Gotten back from CES a few weeks ago, beginning of January, and working on some other stuff, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, CES uh, kicked my butt as usual and uh, kind of was eager to return home from there. But it's been like a ridiculously busy winter for whatever reason. Uh, but now I am in the middle of a bunch of projects and preparing for my next trade show, which is uh, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Ah, I went to that last year. Yeah. Have you been to uh, Barcelona before, the Mobile World Congress? Yeah, this will be my third time, actually. Okay, so you know exactly so, what to expect. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's cool. It's Barcelona's an interesting city uh, just because... It's it's really it's like an old world city that's really interesting. It's got a lot of cool stuff, but then it's also like infrastructure's not quite all there that I'm used to <laughs> in like other cities, say like London or Paris or New York or wherever. Uh, and I'm always paranoid about being robbed. So <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, it was interesting when I went there too. I didn't have too much time to explore the city because it was mostly going to and from the convention center and the hotel, and that's pretty much all we had time for. Yeah. But just driving through in a taxi a few times, it was it was really nice. Yeah. Good food too. So Yeah. So thank you for being on the show. I wanted to bring you on specifically because I usually talk to people who are on the project building side of things and talk to them about trying to promote their own projects. But I think it's super important to get the perspective of how like getting press for a product from the person who's actually writing the press and writing news and writing reviews. And so thank you so much for being on and giving that perspective. Yeah, sure. My pleasure. I wanted to give people kind of 
an overall feel. What is your inbox kind of like on a daily basis when you come in? What does it look like in your inbox? Uh, well, you know, I, I actually try to be on on top of my inbox as much as possible. So every email that I get in uh, goes, I, I, I read every email. So even if it's just like stuff that I instantly delete or I file away or I take action on, I, I actually look at everything that comes in. And so uh, I believe I, I've been taking use of um, Google does its uh, account activity charts every week that it sends me and it tells me how many emails I've received and sent and things like that. Yeah, that's and handy. Av- at average, I get about 2,500 to 3,000 emails a week. So uh, a lot of that is kind of like, long reply threads that just kind of add up to a lot of emails without being a whole lot of uh, stuff to uh, act on. But there's still a lot of stuff that comes in every morning. I have at least a dozen to three dozen anywhere from, yeah, a dozen to three dozen emails in my inbox that need to be attended to or read or or at least acknowledged. Um, But I try to stay on top of it as much as possible. It's funny because this morning, I, uh, I woke up a little bit early, so I had a little bit of time to process things out of my inbox, and I pulled some stuff out that was a couple weeks old. So now I'm actually down to under 25 pieces of mail in my inbox. That's impressive. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. But Do you, do you try to get that down to zero every once in a while? or You know, like, I try to. Goal? So like, I use my inbox as sort of a to-do list. Uh, yeah. If it's in my inbox, it's something that I need to take care of, and it hasn't taken, has, I haven't taken care of yet. Um, so it, everything is, I don't, I know some people use, uh, unread indicators and read indicators to, to use that. But if, if something is done, uh, and I don't have to follow up on it or anything, I archive it. So it's out of my inbox. Um, so I try to get down to zero cause obviously that means I've done everything that I'm supposed to be working on or, or attending to, but that's almost, almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, my ideal inbox, usually how I do it is I, organize things and I have two folders. One is action and the other is waiting. Because I find that if I just leave things sitting in my inbox and it's a to-do item, a lot of times it's not an action that I can specifically take. I'm actually waiting for somebody else to get back to me. So I'll either put it in the action or the waiting and then try to keep that at zero. Although I've been absolutely terrible about that recently. (laughs) Like you get in the modes of the productive mode and you get everything down and then it just kind of wanes every so often. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, other things get in the way. I mean, you could be really awesome at your inbox if you keep your head in your inbox all, all day long. But yeah, and hard to get other stuff done. Yeah, that brings me to a point. Like, how much how much time do you spend processing the email? So you come in in the morning and you have uh, a dozen to a few dozen emails. Uh, how many of those are pitches for product or services, and how long do you spend kind of deciding what you need to do before you can get into your other tasks? Uh, well, a lot of um, I, I, it's hard to say how many are pitches. A lot of it is uh, you know communication from my coworkers and things like that. Yeah. Um, maybe fifteen percent is pitches. I would say uh, just kind of like a rough ballpark that seems to make sense to me. Uh, and and when they're pitches, it, it de- really depends on what it is. Um, sometimes pitches, are, it's obvious that a pitch is being spammed to like a lot of people all at once, uh, and, and it's easier for me to ignore that or delete it or whatever. Um, and, and but other times when it's a, a pitch from someone that I, I have a relationship with or I know already uh, prior, I, I you know take more time to read it and and check it out and, and see if it's something that I need to follow up on immediately or if it's something that I can uh, put aside until later. Uh, and, and you know, as far as 
how much time I spend in my inbox. My, my I use um, Google's uh, web clients, and they are just permanently pinned tabs in my browser, which is open 100% of my working day. So it's almost like I'm always in my email inbox. Uh, so it's, it's hard for me to say exactly how much time I spend there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the same way. So of you were saying that a lot of times if it feels like an email is kind of generic, it was sent to a lot of people, you know that you don't have to pay as close attention to it. How many emails you get in that are in the category of pitches or people that want you to write about them, do you actually have, are they are actually valuable that you actually find that you use or want to use? Uh, I would say the minority. Uh, the vast majority of pitches are either unrelated to what I cover or um, my uh, my beats, or they are just kind of like spam. Uh, and, and you know, I either delete them or ignore them entirely. Um, the the pitches that get through are generally the ones that. Uh, are, are targeted to me because they know that it's something that I cover. Like I cover a lot of mobile news and, and, and mobile apps and things like that. And, um, so if, if somebody has got a product that relates to smartphones or a product that relates to mobile technology and they're able to, uh, send me a pitch on it, then that's more, more useful to me than somebody that's like, Hey, uh, we just released this line of backpacks, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like, uh, well, that's cool. I've, I, I don't really, have any interest in a, in a back? I mean, that's a nice backpack, I'm sure, but I'm not going to do anything with it. Uh, so it, it, I, I think you need to do your research before, if you're pitching a journalist, for sure, uh, it, it helps to do your research instead of just, I know I, it feels like a lot of pitches that I come in, uh, people just went to our about page and found people that worked <laughs> uh-huh. at, at the site and then just emailed them. Uh, and, and that, that doesn't usually work and it's pretty obvious, it's pretty transparent that that's what's going on and, and, you know, easy to ignore those. Yeah. I think people forget that there's a human on the receiving (laughs) end of the emails that you actually, like you pull an email off of somebody off the website's masthead, you send it to them and actually a human is checking that email inbox and they're actually going to read your email. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's for sure. And it's, 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 because like not every obviously not every pitch turns into something that I'm covering. Um, uh, even the ones that I follow up on and respond to doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to cover it. It's just something that where they've gotten far enough to a point where it's at least interested me enough that I want to learn more about whatever they have to say. Yeah. Another thing that I find that people do all the time is that I know when I wrote that piece about fitness trackers for the next month, two months, all I got were pitches for fitness trackers. Yeah. And it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's like, uh, you write one thing, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, the entire industry <laughs> wants, wants you to write about them. And it's, it's the same way with apps. If you ever write about an email app or, or a weather app, uh, you prepared for weeks of, of pitches on every other email and weather app on the market. Yeah. And do you ever do anything with those other ones or are those usually just kind of the, the junk that comes along with you writing a piece? A, a lot of it is the junk that comes along. Sometimes, you know, if I if I cover something and like another important um, company in that space sees that and then reaches out and is like, "We're going to be announcing something soon. Are you? Can we talk to you about it?" Uh, that that's something that's obviously going to attract my attention more because it's already an established company. Uh, I might have referenced them in that piece and comparing, you know, such app to another app or whatever. Uh, and, and so, like, that's valuable to me. But when it's somebody that I've never heard of and it's just like another another version or another variant of the same 
idea, then it makes it uh, makes it difficult. Yeah. So you're saying that the key is because I know that a lot of people will be working on a product or an app. And of course, since they're working on it, they think that it's valuable and they think that it's the best in the space and they'll see coverage of one of their competitors and they'll want to be known. Uh, For me, I mean, I would get these pitches all the time and they just don't explain how they're different. If you send an email and you're like, well, here's why what you covered is not actually that good and here's how we're doing this better. Simple as that, it would, you'd stand out. Is there anything that people can do like in your mind that if they want to kind of take advantage, they see that you are interested in a certain topic that they could try to get on your radar? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a hard question. I mean, email isn't the only avenue of uh, uh, communication. Um, I, I'm not uh, not a huge fan of, of Twitter pitches. Uh, sometimes you just get like random pitches through Twitter, which is, is kind of more annoying than, than useful. But uh, – you know, as a journalist and a lot of journalists in my position are very active on Twitter and other social social networks. Um, I think it's mostly because we we have really big egos and feel like we need to share everything we we, we want with the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, but but in actual interactions are are more valuable than say like just a, a pitch out of the blue. And then you know, I've had people or um, people who are working to to get their news out to build a relationship, and then pitch at something later on. Uh, and then of course I see that in my inbox. I was like, Oh, I know who this person is. What do they, what do they uh, have to say? So you think that's a positive thing? I think it's a positive thing if it's done in the right way. Like you don't, obviously you don't want to be annoying and you don't want to be intrusive. But like when I get somebody who just like sends me a random direct message on Twitter from this person I've never heard of or whatever that I've never talked to before, uh, that's le- I'm less likely to respond to that pitch than I am an email pitch. So, yeah. Cause I know a lot of people will, uh, their approach to social media marketing is they find the journalists who are writing about the stuff that like similar topics to what they're doing. And then they'll, quote unquote, show and provide value. So they'll reply to their tweets. They'll send them an article that's related to something they wrote. They're like, hey, this is interesting. And then kind of build that rapport before going through and sending them the pitch. And kind of going along those lines, if you're doing it right and actually providing value, that's one way that you think people can actually get noticed or at least stand out within the other pitches that are coming in for you. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's I think that's one approach that you know, I, I know I, I can I can think of examples in the past where it's worked. So like uh, where somebody has, you know, interacted with me, even if, uh, you know, they, we've never had a face to face meeting, but we've interacted online elsewhere. Uh, and then they, they pitch something later on. I'm more uh, more keen to 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 take that pitch more seriously. Yeah, I know that at least something with Twitter, a lot of times you you can send a tweet out and to somebody that has a lot of followers, probably gets a lot of at replies and just never be seen or heard from again. But it, the cool thing about Twitter is a lot of people do just like read through their at replies. They don't actually respond to all of them, but they'll, they'll see you. And if you keep replying or talking to them or interacting with them, they're actually going to see it and they'll, they'll recognize you when it comes to it later. Right. Yeah, definitely. So is there anything that you can get in a, a pitch from wherever it comes in is just immediately you're like, Nope, done. Not going to do this. <laughs> um, or is that too broad uh, of a question? <laughs> well, there's always, there's always these tropes that uh, journalists always complain about. Like pitches come in and say like story idea in the, in the, uh, 
the line of the the subject line or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that I I don't know if that works on anybody. Um, but people have been trying it for years, it seems. And I think it gets down to the fact that, you know, uh, a lot of editors and, and journalists take a lot of pride in, in their work and things. And they take a lot of uh, they put a lot of work into what they are deciding to cover and things like that. Uh, and so uh, story idea is kind of like your way of sa- or somebody else's way of saying, I think you should write about this. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think a lot of people, whether they admit it or not. Uh, to kind of take offense to that and 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 are put off by it. Uh, not to mention the fact that it's almost universally attached to something that <laughs> is not worth writing. Not about. worth writing about. So um, that's really but, interesting that you bring that up because I know that uh, a lot of people will specifically say that that's what you should do. And the premise of teaching people to do that is saying that journalists usually have uh, a certain number of stories that they need to write each day. And so they're going through and they're trying to find the stories. So if you can do more work for them, then you have a greater uh, chance or likelihood of actually being a story for them. So you have the busy journalist that all they want is a story. And so you're going to come through as a knight in shining armor with the story and basically hand it over. And then you're going to get written about. And I think that that can work for like the smaller, not as well known, just like maybe one person with a WordPress install, they might just put that up. But for anything that's actually substantial or worthwhile, it's important to note, like you said, that it just kind of it's seen as more of an insult because it's it's kind of a talking down to. Right. And, and I mean, for some people that might work if you happen to be somebody that needs to hit a quota of specific stories every single day, which uh, God, God help you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think for a lot of a lot of journalists I know do not respond well to to that type of pitch. Yeah, I think that's really good to know. Um, so. Have you noticed any differences between kind of the the larger PR agencies that are trying to get a product written about or if a single entrepreneur guy or girl is trying to promote their product and which do you kind of respond to more, I guess? Uh, I don't think I respond to one or the other more. I think uh, uh, I've had pitches come in from like CEO of a company who uh, is really small and just starting up and, and they don't have anybody else to, to pitch for them. So, so they're doing the, the legwork and they turned out to be really interesting things that we've covered. Uh, and then, of course, you have lots of pitches come in from the major PR agencies. Um, the thing with the, the major PR agencies have over the advantage of the small guy is because they'll be pitching for more than one thing, their names become more recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I might have, uh, covered something in, in the past that they, they pitched to me, then maybe something in the future that's a different, uh, company or app or service or whatever it might be, uh, might bubble to the top. Um, but that doesn't always work because there are some names that are very recognizable for just spamming my inbox all day long. Yeah, <laughs> and so then they become true. part of, part of a, a Gmail filter where I never have to see their name again. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I think that the, the principles apply the same way. It's, it's, you know, finding what's different about this particular, uh, service or app or whatever it might be. Um, and, and making that the forefront of the pitch. Yeah. And I think a lot of times too, agencies, since they do this professionally, they know what to do. Like one of the things that always kind of frustrated me is sometimes I would see a cool product or service. It was just some guy who created it and he was sending the pitches out. And one thing that they don't realize is really important is 
embargoes or what is the actual news? Because something just existing isn't as much news and it's a lot harder to get press for it than, okay, this is being released, we're getting a new version, we're hitting this milestone and really focusing on embargoes or news items when you're pitching. Yeah, like what's what's new, right? Like, you know, your app that's been out for six months, that's that's great. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that uh, as, a, as a journalist unless you've, you're, you know, releasing a major new edition or you're adding a really cool feature or something that, that – that pulls people in as to like, this is some fresh news. I think the, the internet thrives on the new and the now, mm-hmm. um, not the six months ago. So sometimes, sometimes it works. Like if you're working on a special project where you're trying to find specific apps to service specific needs, um, then, you know, obviously would write about things that have been on the market for some time. But if somebody's pitching me, they don't really know that I'm doing that. So, uh, it's, it's it's uh yeah exactly. like you said it, there, there's got to be a news hook attached to it and oftentimes that will be the headline that's story idea <laughs> because they just want to get their app written about and they're like well this isn't news this isn't new it, it but you could write about it because here's the angle yeah so how are emails that you get or pitches that you get usually formatted is it all of the news in there do they usually put out a feeler like are you interested in hearing more and which is better like how do they catch your interest uh you know a lot of them uh the ones that have all of the news in there uh i would say probably get ignored easier or i guess like yeah it it, it makes it easier for me because i can decide right then and there whether i'm going to cover it or not um but the ones that say uh you know that have a feeler or say you know you know send out something that says, you know, there's more news to come, you know, uh, and that required me to interact. Uh, you know, I've already invested time in interacting and figuring and learning out more about the product or service. So I might be more inclined to actually do something with that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So what you've done is you've actually initiated and gotten the the writer or the journalist to respond to you saying, okay, yeah, I'm interested in hearing more, send it my way, which means you've already initiated that conversation rather than just giving them a big thing that they can just ignore. Right, right, yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about your process in terms of, all right, you've gotten a, a news piece or a, a new product release that you're interested in covering or writing about or doing something with what is your next step like do you just immediately just start writing like what is your process uh well it depends on what the the topic is if something has a an embargo or a um, specific time when they uh, the news is, is going to be released uh you know I, I work into my schedule you know uh around that um typically what i would if somebody is, you know, reaching out to me and there's something that I'm interested in, I'm asking for more info. I, I at that point, I really want to know everything like about this, uh, this app or service or whatever I want, you know, the full announcement. And, you know, if, if it's something that I can actually try out myself, even better. Uh, and then from there, if I have further questions or want to talk to somebody from the company, then that can be coordinated. Uh, but before I schedule time to talk to somebody or commit to time to talk to somebody, I really want to know everything there is to know about the app or service mm-hmm. uh, or about the announcement, I guess, um, before I'm going to lock out time in my schedule to, to make a phone call or schedule a, a, a chat. At what point do you kind of 
do you ever vet the idea or make sure that nobody else on the staff is already writing about it? Like, do you do that immediately? Like, hey, has anybody heard of this? Or because I know a lot of times people will send a pitch to a lot of different people in the same newsroom. How do how does that whole work with preventing conflicts? Well, it depends on it depends on what the pitch is for. Sometimes a pitch comes in that might be sent to me, but it's more suitable for another journalist on our team that's been covering that beat uh, more specifically or closely. Uh, and so I might coordinate with them, being like, "Hey, this seems interesting. Have you seen this?" Uh, Etc. If it's something that is like under my purview of, of things that I've covered specifically in the past, typically then I just pretty much handle it uh, on my own from there. So yeah, people can. Increase effectiveness by understanding who actually writes about what. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is that is hugely hugely helpful, uh, and it's funny because you know in our our specific newsroom, uh, we we tend to be pretty flexible with with what we cover, and sometimes you know I might write something that is. Uh, just uh, fill in and, and cover uh, a small news piece of something that uh, is under somebody else's beat just because it, it's it's something that needs to be covered in timely fashion and they're they're busy or occupied. Uh, so I might end up getting a bunch of pitches related to that, even though I only had a very small part of that. And then it doesn't it doesn't really relate to me because it's not something that I'm covering extensively. Well, that's kind of the joy of it because you get to learn a bunch of stuff. That was what I noticed back when I was over at The Verge is I would get topics of stuff that I wasn't usually uh, that involved in it. It gave me an excuse to kind of delve in, learn a lot about it, and then write the big piece about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was fun. So is there anything that recently you're kind of getting a bunch of pitches for, or like you've you've seen trending? I know that you cover a lot of smartwatches and wearables and stuff. Do you see that as being uh, a big thing, or are trying people trying to force it to be a big thing? <laughs> I think it's a big talking point, um, and there's a lot of lot of small companies in that space of smartwatches and and wearables and things like that. Um, and and I think everyone is trying to get their their product or their name out there before the the inevitable tsunami of like an Apple or Google uh, releasing something. Right. So you know, there's long been rumored that. Uh, uh, Google and Apple are working on their own wearable technologies uh, as far as like smartwatches go. Uh, there, I mean, like there was re- there was more news on that like just last week. Um, so I think a lot of smaller companies are trying to get their their stuff out there first. So we do see a lot of pitches related to that. Uh, and not all of them are viable coverage for us uh, just because maybe the product isn't in further enough, um, far enough development or it's just not an, an interesting or an uh, innovative idea on it. Um, so, yeah, we do see a lot of that, a lot of talking about that, but I think it's, I don't think that's going to uh, go away anytime soon. Did you get the pepper, Pebble Steel? I did not. I actually, I own a, an original Pebble that I bought last year. Uh, and you so, wear that every day, right? Uh, I don't wear it every day. I wear, okay. I wear it pretty often, but I will say that if I'm working at my desk, I wear it, and if I am uh, uh, at, at like a trade show like CES or something like that, they're very useful. Um, but I try not to wear it when I'm not working, um, just because I don't I don't necessarily need to be uh, that attached to my notifications um, when I'm when I'm away from my desk or, or not on the clock per se. Yes. No, you said <laughs> even, that, though, even though I don't, I don't really ever clock out. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. But you said that it's especially helpful when you're at work or at trade shows. What? How do you use it? Like, what is your setup? Like, why do you wear 
the smartwatch? So it's, um, I will notice that if I'm like working on something and I might have headphones on, or I might be really focused in, in something, I'll not notice that my phone is lighting up or, or beeping or calls are coming in or whatever. Um, so just having the pebble vibrating on my wrist kind of lets me aware, makes me more aware of that. So, uh, even if I'm kind of tuned out, it keeps me, <laughs> it keeps me, uh, aware of my surroundings a little more. Uh, and then like at, at a trade show, uh, because so many things are happening, cross team communications and things like that. Uh, I might be running from one place to another and it's just more convenient to check my wrist than it is to check my phone. Mm-hmm. So basically your biggest use for this is going to be email and notification reminders. So you can basically glance and see what emails are coming in. Well, actually, I've, uh, I've, I've done something. I, I did something at the beginning of this year, which was like a major sea change for me as far as my time management and notifications go and I turned off all sounds and vibrate and uh, wrist notifications for any emails. So I get a little indicator on my screen when I have a new email comes in on on my phone. Uh, But unless I'm looking at it, I don't see it. Uh, And that's a very big difference from where it used to be, where it used to like buzz and sing a song and and buzz my wrist at every email that came in. Um, But I do use the the Pebble. uh, It's good for more personal messages, text messages, incoming calls, um, more private, maybe private messages on Twitter or something like that, where it's more of a person speaking to me as opposed to just my email inbox. Interesting. Yeah, because that could be so overwhelming. Your wrist would be buzzing every couple of minutes. Yeah, that was pretty much what was happening. and I just got tired of it. (laughs) So. So basically, you just use it for the private kind of stuff and then everything else like the email notifications do you have an alert on your phone every time you get an email in or did you say that you silence that as well so i silence i silence the phone's alert but it's still like on my iphone it will have a little badge of the unread so i can see that i have unread emails in my inbox when i look at my phone adding up yeah yeah But but it won't it won't be like alert it won't be making an active alert i guess it's more of a passive way of of looking at it yeah i did the exact same thing i turned off the the push notifications just because it found that it constantly interrupted me and now i know that a lot of people in terms of productivity will try to batch process email so they won't check it during certain times and only get in their email uh, inbox during certain things but i check it whenever i want which is probably way too much and like you i always keep a <laughs> gmail tab open but I've just turned off alert, uh, alerts on my phone and it's just made a huge difference in just my mental clarity levels, I think. Yeah, I figured that, you know, I, I'm constantly turning my phone on to do anything anyways. Uh, and so if I turn it on to do something else, I, I'll also see that I have, I have email to look at. So I, I don't need it lighting up for email. Exactly. So somebody that is listening to this right now had probably a huge fan of your stuff really likes your work and they're probably working on something that they think you would want to cover what should they do like what are their steps should they just send you an email should they prepare something like what mindset and what should be in there i guess uh, i guess um the first thing is they should have a definitive idea of what they're doing, um, when it will be available, uh, who it will be for, um, how much it will cost and all these other kind of details, uh, before getting a pitch together. So, uh, you know, 
things that aren't very useful is like this thing is coming soon, but we don't know when it's going to be available. So like, it's like, that's not very useful to anybody, uh, yeah. a journalist or even somebody who's reading the journalist's article, if they decided to cover it. And that's so um, common too. It's very strange. Yeah. It's, 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 I know it's, there's like this whole idea of building hype for something before it actually is available. But when people know when something is going to be available, it's, it's, it's just more valuable. It's just a better service to, to your readers and to prospective customers. If you're, if you're on that end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important. Uh, you know, uh, researching who you're pitching to is, is, is it something that will be even relevant to my, uh, sphere of coverage? Uh, and you know, Take an honest look and be, is this legitimately different than the countless other things that are on the market? And uh, finding out to what that difference is and, and, and why that difference is interesting. Mm-hmm. One of the most important things that I learned from uh, working at The Verge and just becoming a better writer and reporter in general is that the angle is the story. And if you have a product, your product might be similar to other stuff on the market and that's how you know that there's a market but what really is important what's going to get people to write about you and notice you is your story and what what makes you different like what are you doing and why is it valuable and so many people just will say what it is because they know that people have it but really it's the story and the angle that is the most important thing right and that's what's going to catch your attention and hopefully get you interested in wanting to learn more and possibly writing about it Possibly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, like, I, I don't want to say that. It's, it, nothing is definite, right? Yeah, nothing is definite. And that's important, too, because I've sent a bunch of emails back and forth with people because I was interested in their product and then just ended up the story didn't materialize. It just didn't happen. And that happens all the time. Right, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that that's a really good coverage of what to do if you're actually pitching to journalists and you want to get covered thank you so much for being on the show dan hey my pleasure so where can people find you if they want to pitch you get in contact with you or talk to you on twitter uh so my twitter handle is d uh as in dan uh c as in chris and then seaford uh my last name uh and then uh my email is just dan.seaford at theverge.com Awesome. So, uh, and I'll put all that in the show notes so you guys can get in contact with him. And thanks so much for being on the show, Dan. Thanks you. Thank you, Dan. For listening. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking to Dan. And there's a lot of really great information in here. So please, please, please listen to it and tailor your pitches thus. If you've enjoyed this, please go onto iTunes, rate it, review it, helps me out a lot. And until next week, have a good one. 